When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The key for me, right, is to allow your insignificance to inform everything and every decision that you make. Hello guys, it's Jimmy Doty and it's another episode of On Jimmy's Farm. This podcast, we try to relieve your environmental worries and give us all a little slice of the good life along the way. Now, just coming along the top end of the farm, up to electric fence, to see two of the giants of Jimmy's farm. And that's Annie and Bella. These are my Suffolk Punch horses. Hey, listen to that. Set of nostrils, aren't you sweet there? Hmm? They are just the most beautiful chestnut color. And they can weigh up to a ton in weight. Stand almost six foot at the shoulders, some of them. And these guys were basically the tractor of their era. They're so gentle, gentle giants. And this part of the world, Suffolk, East Anglia in general, these guys would have been a common sight, you know. They would have been tilling the land, pulling logs out of the woods, you name it. Whatever work needed doing, these guys were doing it. Way before four by fours, these guys had it down. And we forget that whole term, horsepower, comes from the horse and of course they're rare now these are very rare because we don't use horses we you know we use tractors and uh, after well before the, the first world war these guys were in great demand and then the war happened and every horse available was sent off to the front and these guys then had to drag ammunition and bring back casualties pull heavy artillery pieces you name it and hardly any of them came back from the front and these guys nearly became extinct as a breed. And it, it's, it's down to the hard work of the breeders and also organisations like the Rare Breed Survival Trust that have saved them. And hopefully these guys are going to have wonderful foals, aren't you? There's something wonderful about being around big, heavy horses. Although they're ginormous, they're really calming. They're lovely. They're just lovely to be around and that lovely sound of them breathing and the smell, the soft noses they've got, just beautiful. So let me tell you about today's guest on the podcast. It's the lovely Jake Humphrey. Now he's such a lovely guy, TV presenter, he's presented all sorts of stuff, CBBC, he's sports presenter, he's done loads of stuff when it comes to sport, Formula One, done the Grand Prix, 
you name it. But today's chat isn't necessarily about his, his presenting career or, or sports. It's about mental health and mental well-being. And that's something we often forget about, you know? It's like uh, you hurt yourself, physical injuries, you deal with them. It's the mental side of things, our mental health. You know, we often need an MOT. I get mine by coming up here and looking at the horses or, or feeding the fish in the pond, the time for calmness and reflection. It's a really lovely little chat. I hope you enjoy it and I'll see you later on back at these beautiful horses. Mr. Jake Humphrey, it's a pleasure having you on my podcast. Thanks, mate. On Jibby's Farm. This is brand new to me. I've never done podcasting before, so I'm a bit of a podcast virgin. But you are a pro because you've got a fantastic podcast. Yeah, thank you. But but you are really well known because basically you you are one of the recognised faces when it comes to the Premier League mm. and football. But where did it all start for you? Because I speak to lots of people when they're, and they're well-established in their careers. They often have yeah. a vision in their mind where they want to be. So for you, was it going to be, right, I'm, I'm, I'm mad on sports, I'm going to be a, a TV presenter, I'm going to be a, a, an author. How did it all start? It's a, this is a sort of an interesting question for me, right, because I like really floated through life early on. Didn't really work very hard at school wasn't really committed to anything. I wasn't in any clubs or teams or groups. I wasn't in the school plays at school. Um, and actually, we did, um, on our podcast, we had a chat with Bear Grylls the other day, and he talked about the kids who are the school superstars find life difficult because they just think life's easy, whereas the kids who are not are actually better equipped when they leave school because hundreds of times they've had to get knocked down and get back up and go again. And I think, looking back, what I do now comes from that constant sort of like, mm, you're not really good enough to play for the school team. So I got selected once. And at the time, you look at that and you think, man, like, you know, this is not great. And actually, we hear from a lot of parents who message us on the high performance saying, oh, I wish my son or daughter or child had a better experience at school. But I think, actually, school not being an amazing experience gives you that sort of resilience that you then need in later life. So honestly, Jimmy, I was not Mr. Ambition when I left school. I didn't think there was going to be anything for me, really. I grew up in a tiny village, not far from you. I'm just in Norfolk up the road. And I thought that was kind of it, really. I was just going to be a local guy, work for a local company, live a local life. It's interesting because on your podcast, High Performance, is that you speak to amazing people that are dedicated, ambitious, you know, really, really focused. And you always imagine that these people have this master plan, but it's, it's mm. amazing to think that actually it's the knocks in life that shape you. And what you said about the high achievers is, yeah, I suppose that for, for a lot of them, they do feel it's easy street yeah. until they then hit a barrier and knocks them down. It's very hard to get up. I think those small sort of punches you get in life, I suppose, do toughen you up. I found that I, I was always focused that I wanted to be working with animals or I wanted to be in the military. But in terms of everything else, it was fairly scattergun. Yeah. And I, I, I was never really, never succeeded in sports and stuff. I was always the, you know, it was about three of us left in the line. You know what I mean? Or I know I'd the feeling well, mate. Or, 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 yeah, I'd be in dipping in that bin, pulling out those leopard skin underpants or whatever, and having to do PE in them and all that. Or I have a laminated note saying I've got athlete's foot or whatever else. Yes. What about something like, because I always say this, what about something like naivety? Because I think naivety is quite key in terms of, pushing frontiers and succeeding because definitely if you knew everything if you knew all the pitfalls you probably wouldn't 
do it, would you? A hundred percent. I think you're totally you're spot on there. If you if you actually knew how hard something was going to be, you wouldn't ever even begin. I think I think naivety is really good for anything that you want to do for starting any new business or any new venture or anything. I have a production company in London called Whisper, and we've now got about 250 staff. Um, it's a pretty big business now, turning over tens of millions of pounds a year. But it has been so difficult, and I think the real the real victory for us was that right at the very beginning, so it was me, it was when I was working on Formula One for the BBC, and I was working with this brilliant producer, a guy called Sunu, and I think that you either, I always found in life, you either get really great organisers or really great creatives, and he was the first person I worked with where I thought, man, this guy is amazingly creative, but also gets stuff done. And we were constantly let down by companies coming to us in Formula One and saying, look, we've got access to this amazing driver on this amazing track with this amazing car. Do you want the footage to put on your TV programme? And we'd say, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely take that. And then we'd get delivered it on like the Thursday or the Friday in a pit lane in some foreign Grand Prix location. And we'd go, right, we'll, we'll edit this into a really nice film and put it out on the BBC programme. And it was just rubbish, Jimmy. It was like covered in advertising. The sound was bad. There was no narrative. There was no story. And we were like, we can't do anything with that. And then the team would say to us, oh, the people that we're working with have sent you the stuff. Are you going to put that on your show at the weekend? And we'd be like, we can't. It's just not good enough. And then we'd ask them what they'd paid to have it made. And they were like, oh, three million euros or something. And we were like, what? That can't be. <laughs> so I said to Sonny, well, look, man, these people are producing poor content, ripping people off. Let's just do it ourselves and do it to a really good level. And everyone said to us, you'll never make that work. It's so hard to set up an independent production company. It's so hard to win the work. It's so hard to deliver the work. And we, my wife was a production manager on Strictly Come Dancing. And so she quit her job. Sunil quit his job at BBC Sport, which was a big risk for him because at least with Harriet leaving her job, my salary just about covered us. He left his job and we went for it and we worked out of the spare room in our bedroom in West London where we were living at the time. And that's what started that business. And I'm telling you now, if we'd have known that it would take us 10 years to get to this point and all the difficult stuff and all the challenges, or even worse, if we'd have listened to people telling us that that's difficult, we'd never have done it. And I think the one big learning for me yeah. out of that is whenever one of my kids says to me, you know, Sebastian said to me the other day, he said, I want to, um, I want to build a slide out of my bedroom because we, we, um, we love going to Wells, yeah, up on the coast here in Norfolk because I want to build a slide out of my bedroom and then after school I want to slide to Wells. But instead of just going... Sebastian, that's like 40 miles away, don't be so stupid. I'm like, mate, what an amazing idea. Why don't you design it and draw it? And it's those sorts of conversations where you lose that eventually. But the point of that story is when you're seven years old, it's all there for you. You can go to the moon. You can build a slide to the beach. You can play for yeah. Manchester United. You know, you can do all these things. At what point is it in life where we sort of are told so often that life's hard or life's difficult or life's not going to work out for us that we stop believing it? It's so like if you go into a classroom of seven-year-olds and say, who can sing? Everyone puts their hands up. If you go into a class of 15-year-olds, who can sing? No one puts their hands up. Because in our heads, we add, well, who can sing well? It's not about that. Life's not about that. Yeah. It's about just believing you can do something. And naivety is brilliant. As parents, you try not to do it, but you start eroding your children's ability to go, oh, I'm going to do something like that, because you don't want them to have these pitfalls and it's very difficult to stop I, I remember my dad was always like no don't do that no you can't have this and mm -hmm. that's not going to work and I remember 
saving up money when I was eight to buy a fish tank. And I, I managed to buy this fish tank after washing cars, 27 quid it cost me. And I put this fish tank in my bedroom, filled it with water and put all the fish in and watched it. And I was eight and my dad came in and he was like, get that out, it's gonna cause damp. And rather than going, How, yeah. where's, where's this fish tank from? What's that fish called and all the rest of it. He was worried about the damage or the damp, which is, is right. But we, as parents, you've got to be very careful not to... Yep put those constraints on your kids because that imagination naivety is the ability to allow them to mm. to do these things and your podcast has now been turned into a fantastic book yeah right? it's a, a, the sunday times bestsellers Ooh. but the thing is is that a lot of the interviews the lessons you've learned from those interviews from the podcast you put in the book yeah and that's been quite strategic in your development has it in terms of taking those stories yeah. what, what are some of the key stories that you think oh god that's been a game changer I think the first one that always stands out to me was when we had Johnny Wilkinson on. And I would say if anyone hasn't listened to High Performance, I mean, I don't know whether you've heard it, mate, but it is, I mean, it goes really deep. We talk for an hour and a half. We don't even talk about rugby, but it is so, it's really spiritual. He goes really deep in the conversation and he talks about exploration being key, which is exactly what we're talking about now. You know, I said to him, what is the secret to a high performance life? And he said, explore, explore your failures explore your body, explore your limits, explore your surroundings, explore your relationships. Even like when things are hard, instead of thinking, God, this is hard, I don't want to be involved in this, explore how that feels. In his words, if you can live a life of exploration, that's a life lived well. And I think that's a really nice, strong lesson. So like this morning, actually, I went into Florence's room and I walked in and she had this little notebook out. She'd written in it, my big plans, and nothing's been filled in yet. But I love the fact that I went up there and that's what she was doing. And I, I'm now going to kind of like secretly keep tabs on that little book and see what those big plans are. But basically, that is a mindset of exploration. And what we have to do as parents is not take away that sense of exploration or the sense of big plans. And I hope that the plans in there are the kind of things that you and I would look at and go, well, that's ludicrous. Oh, well, that's not going to happen because mm. that's where we have to begin. That's where we have to start. So Johnny Wilkinson was brilliant. There's a lot of conversation about comparison. And I'm sure you've heard that old phrase, comparison is the thief of joy. And it really is, particularly now, because we all spend our lives on social media looking at everyone's edited version yeah. and comparing it to our reality. So therefore, we feel bad whatever we do. There will always be people further down the road of where we are, but where we are is yeah. all that actually matters. It creates something that's really ugly, the social media, where the grass is always greener, and that's jealousy. Yeah. And jealousy is such a horrible, negative thing where it's something I really consciously try to combat. I don't always do it successfully, but it's it's a negative thing. But social media does that. But the idea of Johnny Wilson, exploration, that's fascinating because this whole podcast is about living a greener life, you know, getting out and connected with nature. But the idea of getting out in nature, the element of exploration is really important. I think when we place ourselves in nature, some of the times where... I feel that I've really been put in my place have been like in the open ocean or in a desert mm-hmm. and you said or even in Norfolk and a ploughed field yeah. with a big open sky in winter you suddenly think actually we're quite small but getting out into the wilderness putting us as a human race yeah. in our place I think it's quite important I'm absolutely down with that I mean I remember being there's a small cut at Wells where the tide flows in and out and the lifeboats use it to get in and out And at the wrong time of day, when the tide is either coming in or going out, people, if you're crossing it at that point, you are just washed away. So the lifeguards have to go sort of beachside and just basically wait to pick people up, right? 
And it's when you do little things like that, where it's a lovely blue sky day, having a great day out of the beach with the kids, and then you suddenly get that sense of like overwhelming insignificance because one tiny bit of water at one tiny beach on one tiny country on this tiny planet of ours compared to the rest of the solar system, like you suddenly are like, wow, that soon went. The key for me, right, is to allow your insignificance to inform everything and every decision that you make. It's not offensive for me to say that you are insignificant, Jimmy, like in the grand scheme mm. of things, you know. Thank you. <laughs> in the nicest possible way. I'm exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah okay. <laughs> like, like, let's forget about legacy, right? Just absolutely forget. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're, you're sort of gambling on something you're not going to get the chance to enjoy. And I'm quite a fan of the Stoics. And I have a book called The Daily Stoic, which is a reading for 365 days of the year. And the Stoics were all about the fact that legacy is basically your ego taking over. Yeah. So all that I think we should be doing when it comes to understanding our insignificance in this world is just sort of having that at the heart of everything we do, which basically means not letting your ego run away with you and make those decisions on your behalf. Why worry about it? That's, that is true. It does make the little things in life disappear. And I, I've always said it, often we should put politicians in these desolate places to make them feel that sort of insignificance. Yeah. The interesting thing about legacy, I think the legacy element, if it's a pride thing where someone's going, I'm going to leave behind something that people are going to see in a thousand years go, wow. But the element of planting seeds or planting a tree, but I do it for the enjoyment of others in time to come. I do like the idea of someone having a nice bit of shade from an acorn that I planted. Mm. And on the farm here, there's... Well, that's giving, the, isn't it? That's Mr. giving, Mayhew. that's not your it, ego. Well, I suppose, but it's still, a, I see that as a legacy. But Mr Mayhew's, a, the local farmer here, he, he pointed out, I said, there's lovely oak trees. He goes, yeah, my granddad planted them, popped a few acorns in the ground and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, I do like that element of legacy, but there is definitely legacy where people, it's empire building. You know, they want to see their name. They want the, the big portraits, all that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, leaving something behind for enjoyment is different. Correct. But you had Bear grills on, right? Mm. And I've spoken to Special Forces guys before, and there's something different about them. But the thing about these guys is they're so dedicated, but their brains are wired differently. Mm. They've got this inner determination and this strength inside that's, you know, it's quite scary in some ways. Did you find that with Bear? The people we speak to on the podcast have reached a point in their lives where they are able to think like that and they are able to understand that it's how they react to those things, not those things, that makes a real difference to their life. And we've had people on like Billy Munger, who was a racing driver yeah. who lost both of his legs and he managed to push through. We've had Dame Kelly Holmes, who was self-harming because she was suffering such mental trauma before winning her Olympic gold medals. And Middleton or Tom Daly, who both at a young age lost a parent. There's, there is real trauma behind a lot of triumph. And if we can get that mindset, particularly into our young people, to make them realise that failure and struggle and difficulty is a comma, not a full stop, it's a really powerful mindset to have. And that's what I took really from Bear. Because then you look at all of his businesses and all of his adventures and yeah. all of his endeavours and this amazing brand that he's built. He's built that brand from understanding that whatever happens outside as long as he makes the kind of next right decision and as long as he deals with those things in a way that's positive for him, he's basically bulletproof because he still goes forwards regardless of the phone call or the difficult thing, you know? Yeah, I think that that inner strength is amazing. But tell me about Kelly Holmes because I think she's really interesting because when you think about self-harming and when you look at her, really successful, you'd never dream that someone would have all those stresses that has... Yeah. 
resulted in, in self-harming. Yeah, it's a really common conversation that we have, Jimmy. And I, I actually always know when people haven't listened to our podcast because they say, oh, I'm not listening to high performance. You know, let's just be clear. I think in some ways high performance is a misleading title actually for the podcast because I almost think um, it makes people feel inferior because they believe that high performance has to be winning an Olympic gold medal, mm. being an elite military operator, being an Oscar winning actor, whatever the people that have been on our podcast have achieved. But the point is that those people were not born in those roles. There is no secret. And I grew up thinking there was a secret, thinking those people were on a path that is totally different to mine and I was never going to be there. Yeah. But the story of Kelly, racked with self-doubt, crippled by injuries, believing that this you know, great dream that she had is not going to come true. And then she got those two gold medals. So how did, she, how did she get to that point? How did she manage to push through? Well, I think that's a very extreme example of the fact that at all times, when we're pushing ourselves to the limit, there will be a moment where it feels like a failure, it feels like a struggle, it feels like there is no answer. And the best thing that we can do in those situations is to realise that actually you can get through that and you can push through that. The lesson we've taken from people like Kelly and others is to almost expect the struggle. Almost going back to that conversation at the beginning about young people at school and how we build resilience into our next generation is you have to tell people to expect that it is going to be hard, expect that you're going to be pushed to your limits, expect you're going to feel like you can never do it. And, you know, Kelly's story of self-harm and self-doubt, which goes back to her entire story of her upbringing and the various challenges that she had, that's an extreme example. But I think that all of us, every single day, wake up with doubt and fear and confusion. Mm. But if we expect that that's how we're going to feel, I think we're better yeah. equipped for, for working through it, you know? Yeah. I think your podcast does remove this mask from people that is put on to well-known people uh, that somehow they are superheroes and they don't go through yeah. all the same ups and downs as everyone else and and that you are a, a product of your knocks in life aren't you you know that's what shapes you and that's what pushes you on correct and successful people jimmy as you will know from those you've hung out with yeah they yeah. fail more than anybody else successful people operate in that window like where failure is almost inevitable like they, let's take you and your business right there'll be times where you probably haven't spoken about it publicly, but you're like, can I actually make this farm work? Are we going to survive the next three months? People operate at the absolute edge of, of yeah. right where they should be. And the reason for that is because that's where the gold is. That's where the real beauty is. But then it comes with challenges as well. Yeah. Having this element of failure all around you, once you get used to that and think actually it's okay to fail, then you don't feel the stress as much. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. As a society, do you think that with a lot of young people that we try to protect them from failure. We set a system up that people don't fail. We try and wrap them up and cotton wool too much. But certainly with our children, we try, but fail all the time. But I think that's okay, because at least we're trying to allow them to have some struggle. And I call it helicopter parenting, you know, hovering around your kids all the time. And I know that often we see it as like, oh, don't go there, you might fall, or don't swing from that tree, you might break your arm, don't climb too high. But that's what we think is like not allowing our kids to fail. But actually, I think it goes way deeper than that. It's even, okay, so let me just be totally honest, right? I have a massive issue with education. I don't believe that our kids should be doing homework, but far more than that, I don't think we should be testing our children. I don't see why at seven years old, my kids have to be tested because... All it does is it makes them compare. So Florence will come home from school and she'll go, I got seven out of 30 for my maths. Well, that's okay. You know, you did your best. Yeah, but everyone else got 25 out of 30. That's the issue. So she immediately doesn't see that she tried her best. And the reality is, like me, and I failed my maths GCSE, yeah. Florence, you sit and you do maths with her and she struggles. Her brain just isn't wired that way. And even I struggle. I'm 43 and I struggle with a seven-year-old's maths because it's not my thing. But the way that we examine our young people makes them feel like it's a failure, rather than there's a star for effort. Well done, I know how hard you tried on that. And so we have to find a way to change, I think, the way that we get young people to look at school. School needs to be more creative. I think we live in a almost like a post-knowledge generation. So I'm doing maths with Florence and I'm thinking, I know that this is exactly what I did 30 years ago. So what, what is the reason for teaching them like this? So I have a big issue with education, but I have an even bigger issue with testing i don't think it's right it sets them up to see the world in the wrong way it sets them up to know that they're up against other people i know that some think oh you got to test them they've got to realize that that's what life's all about but i don't agree that testing them as a class and everyone knowing how everyone else did does anything good for them i know other people think very differently but we also have to find a way to allow our kids to fail at the same time because actually i look at florence getting seven out of 30 and i know that she's then annoyed and then i'm kind of happy because i now know that she's failing and struggling and so she's then having to dig into her dig into her reserves isn't she so hopefully her resilience will be high because of that i want my kids to fail if they haven't put the effort in if they've shown no desire if they haven't dug in and had application what i don't want is for my kids to give it their all and then to be mm. told well that person did better because then they just grow up in this world of well I, you know giving my all doesn't make a difference what makes a difference is how i did it compared to that person and it's a difficult one. It's a really difficult yeah. one to get right. It's really difficult. But we have to, I think we have to judge each young person on their own merits. And it's like one size fits all in school, isn't it? So let's put creativity higher. Yeah. I just about to say, because I've got t- two of my daughters, slightly different. Now, one, 
is quite lazy and she was just like oh well pff, I'm not gonna bother doing the homework and if she doesn't do well she's like pff, oh well and then I've got another daughter who if she doesn't do well she'd be really sensitive and she would definitely compare herself to all the others in the class and go well oh they've done so much better they're so much better at that than I am and so much better so it really depends on the character involved because I think with education we tend to have like a potato print that's one shape that fits all and that for me seems yeah, yeah, quite yeah. outdated you know. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, Jimmy, our education system was designed in the Victorian era where you wanted to take a child in the UK and a child in, in you know, part of the empire, somewhere like India, and they had to know the same things and be educated in the same way and be moved around the world. And they've all got a similar ability. Yeah. But that's gone. Like that is, There's a brilliant talk by Sir Ted Robinson where he talks about this. And it is a totally outdated system now, our education system. They're getting knowledge in a different way. They're understanding and seeing the world in a different way. They're experiencing far more than we ever did as young people because they've got YouTube and tablets and all the other things that they've got access to these days. So I think that if we could put creativity at the heart of what our children are doing and choice at the heart of what they're doing and an understanding and an empathy with other people, like is 42 times seven a really valuable thing for my daughter to know or is dealing with a setback or working with a young person in the class who's struggling and is sad and is upset, is that the more valuable thing? It's interesting that the whole education system being based you know, in the Victorian era where going through the Industrial Revolution, it's all about getting bigger, 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 you know, creating more wealth back to the UK, all that kind of stuff, the creation of empire. Now the problems are very different and we've got environmental issues to deal with. So having young people that really care and are able to deal with the biggest crisis that the planet's faced in a long time is vitally important. Do you have any major worries about what the future holds? You're all about you know, pushing on you know, the, the knocks that life throws us, but what about when it comes to environmental issues? Yeah. I mean, I have a, a huge concern about that, you know, partly because I live in the country, as you do. I've got a river right next to me. I was dismayed when I saw the recent vote in the Houses of Parliament about pollution being pumped into our rivers. I don't think that we're taking it seriously enough. And the real big thing for me, right, Jimmy, is... We've been told for years, haven't we? Do your recycling, fly less and drive less and we'll all be fine. So what happened during lockdown? We all drove less, we all flew less. What did it do for the environment? Absolutely nothing. And I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure there'll be 10% of the planet's businesses responsible for 80 or 90% of the emissions on this planet. That is where we have to hit them. That's where we have to attack them. Because you and me can do all that we can. And it's amazing when we go shopping and my kids are making sure we have our bags and that they don't like us buying bananas if they're in plastic. Or they, you know, they're saying to us, like the other day we went shopping and Flo was like, you know, avocados are really bad for the environment because of the amount of water it takes to grow an avocado. And they've flown it over here because they don't grow in the UK. Like she's nine years old, brilliant. That's fantastic. We can do all we can, but I also think that there's only a certain amount that we can do physically. The big thing we've got to do is apply monumental pressure to the government and to big business to take it seriously enough and to care. But the problem is the way that this world works, they are answerable to their shareholders, they're answerable to the stock exchange, they're answerable to the bottom line. So if it hits them in the pocket, they will make the short-term decision and they'll leave the big business damaging but environment improving decisions to the next CEO or the next board of directors or the next generation of business leaders. But there isn't the time to leave it to anybody else. It's basically, we do it now or there is no planet for our great, great, great grandchildren to live on. And the big worry is because government are very ephemeral, aren't they? They're only in for a short term yeah. and it's all about can they get in again? 
And also the, the value that we put on environmental issues, because it doesn't have a true economic reflection, because you can't go, that oak tree's worth 50 quid yeah. to the economy each year, or, or that river's worth five million pounds to the economy because we can't do that it doesn't appear on a spreadsheet and that's one of the the major issues we have mm. but tell us about the company you set up with the sunglasses because that's fascinating because oh, yeah. that's that's heavily into sustainability yeah it, we're called coral eyewear and it's eyewear taking plastic from the ocean and turning it into eyewear and the reason for doing it regarding the eyewear industry is like take the uk for example there's 9 million pairs of eyewear produced every year using virgin plastic. And, I, and while we go heavy on, or people go heavy on, oh, we need to use less plastic. But also a lot of the eyewear uses like environment damaging glues or lacquers or paints. And a lot of that stuff is pumped into rivers in countries where those factories are based. Even right down to the fact that when you go, you know, when you go to the opticians and you're trying on glasses, they've all got like dummy lenses in them. So you can get a good idea of what it is. Well, they're just virgin plastic. Yeah. And they're not recycled and they're thrown away. There has to be a complete mindset shift in something like a whole industry, a whole eyewear industry. And I would love it if people got to the point where, a bit like with carrier bags, you know, wearing non-recycled sunglasses becomes a no-no. I thought Coral Eyewear was cool because it was entirely yeah. purpose-driven. It was set up by a 19-year-old student who was at the UEA in Norwich. And I have a, a scholarship programme at the UEA where I pay for a student from a low-income household to do a media degree every year. And... So my relationship with this university was already there and I met this guy, George, they introduced us and I was like, mate, I'd love to do what I can to help you. So invested in the business to allow them to get going and then kind of shout about them and help them out whenever I can. And it's like a bit like how we've spoken on this podcast. We set it up and we were like, yeah, everyone will just love this. It'll be great. It'll be really easy. And it is a constant challenge because you're up against big companies with big budgets <laughs> who advertise in a big way. There is still not that mindset about fashion and the fashion industry. The fashion industry is one of the biggest polluters on the planet. Yeah. And still people are buying clothes with cheap dyes. That throwaway fashion idea is, is still prevalent, but I really hope it disappears. And we need to start shopping with our heart, really, rather than our head. And, you know, I, I was chatting on our podcast to Mary Portas, you know, the fashion designer and entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. And she was in New York and she said Macy's was empty and it was just stacked high with shelves of throwaway fast fashion and nobody was going in there. And over the road was Patagonia with queues out of the door. And the big slogan on the window of Patagonia was buy one jacket and wear it for the rest of your life. Now that totally goes and flies in the face of what you would traditionally think is the right way to operate a business. You know, buying one jacket, but we're, we're a fashion business. But I think slowly we're buying into and slowly we're understanding that we have to think a bit more carefully about how we live. And I hope that Coral Eyewear is part of that conversation. Who knows? It's bloody hard <laughs> to try and have an impact. But what I know is that they're doing the right things from the top to the bottom. And, you know, if you keep on following the process rather than the outcome and try and do the right thing every day, hopefully we'll, we'll get to the right place in the end. But also people, you know, if something is a success or they like the idea, it's emulated, isn't it? And I've, I've seen that when you've got like free range local meat at uh, farmers markets, all of a sudden the supermarkets are now doing it in their local aisles or whatever it is. And if you build a brand with something that's utilising recycled plastic and it's got a good story and people want to buy into that, then people are going to emulate that. And what I see it as a game changer with companies like yours is that 
all of a sudden you can see that the plastic of the ocean becomes an asset. The plastic in landfill becomes an asset. That will then be mined and harvested to turn into products to reuse that people want. And then that's how to clear up the ocean. And if you've ever been on a beach where, God, I remember there was a big storm. I was in Sri Lanka and then the, this beautiful beach. The next day after, after the storm, it looked like a tip, you know, and, and the amount of plastic that's floating around the ocean. And we've done it on Food Unwrapped where... We've looked at microplastics and watched mussels yeah. sucking in tiny little beadlets of plastic, which then enters the food chain. You know, it's, it's incredible. So having something that we can, you know, tap into, see as a resource, it gives it an economic value then, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And have you lowered, like, your meat consumption and your fish consumption and all that sort of stuff, Jimmy? Do you know what? Yeah, I've, I've, it's interesting because I'm, I'm a meat producer and people think I, I eat meat all the time, but I don't. I probably eat meat twice a week. But anything I do eat, I make it last a long time. And the fish I eat is always seasonal or if bycatch. One thing I've tried to reduce, though, is my rice intake because I have milk and my tea and I eat cheese, but I always have try and have the organic milk, local dairy like Marybelle or places like that. But the methane production of cattle is a big issue, but you get a lot of methane production in rice. And I'm thinking, well, actually, rather than import the rice, I'd much rather have my dairy than the rice. So everyone can do what they can. And I've, I've looked at veganism and I've experimented for it as part of a program I was doing. But for me, I think when it comes to consuming, we're all consuming far too much of everything anyway. And I think we almost need to step back two or three generations back to our grandparents and the reason that they were all slim and consumed far less is because it was a lot more expensive say 25% of their income 25% of their income went on food now it's less than 9% so it's all so cheap and buy one get one free and that's why there's more obese people in the world than malnourished the calories are there we're just eating too much of it so I do try to reduce as much as possible I'm a I'm I like to think I'm an amazing switcher offer of lights I've definitely turned into my dad when it comes to that. I'm, I feel that all I do is walk around turning lights off. Kids, man. Kids and lights. I'm the bringer of oh. darkness in our... Oh. Yeah, terrible. It's the worst. The other thing I was, I was going to ask you about with your podcasts and your TV work, because this is all new to me, big difference between doing TV and podcasts. Yeah. Have you found, have you found the, that, that transition? Have you found it a, a difficult, difficult sort of transition to make or is it quite natural? No, it's pretty natural because I suppose most of my TV career is interviewing people. I mean, basically, if I meet a fellow TV presenter that sort of doesn't have an interest in other human beings, I find that a really weird concept because I only really do my job because I'm fascinated by people. What I loved was the insight into that elite world and the elite mindset and the fact that if you believe that you can do amazing things, then nine times out of ten you'll do that. And that the biggest barrier to achieving great things is our own brain telling us we're not going to make it happen. Mm. So that was the sort of interest in sport for me. But the interest in people has always been there. I think the big thing with my podcast particularly being about mindset, approach and determination and all the other things that we talk about on high performance, I feel for the first time really useful. Like when I'm covering a football match and I'm talking about whether a VAR decision was right or wrong or whether a certain team won or lost, there is a small part of my brain going, you know, does it really, it's not going to make the world turn faster. Whereas when we have these conversations and then when we get messages from GPs saying they've prescribed high performance to their patients or teachers saying that we've, because we, our final question on high performance is what are your three non-negotiables for a high performance life and schools around the UK are creating non-negotiable boards or they're having assemblies about non-negotiables or they're having lunchtime workshops about 
living a high performance life. Wow. Or there's people that are suffering with mental health problems that are getting in touch saying your podcast has really been a game changer for me or people who've made a big life decision based on the podcast. That makes me feel like for the first time really in my entire career, Formula One, BBC, football, BT, kids telly, doesn't matter. None of that feels useful compared to this. I love it and enjoy it, but I actually feel like we spoke about legacy, didn't we, at the start of this conversation. I have zero interest in legacy, yeah. but I have a massive interest in trying to make my little tiny slice of the world a better one. And that's why I love doing high performance. It's great. There's definitely a freedom to it. And it's more intimate, I think, as well, Jimmy, when people yeah. have it in their ears and they're out for a walk or they're off for a drive. It's like, there's only three people right now in this relationship and it's you, me, and the person that's listening to this. I think that is, uh, there's a real... There's a real deepness to that that you perhaps don't get in other areas of broadcasting, yeah. No, I, lo I love it. And so, listen, what's next for you then? Good, good question. I need, in 2022, to just put the family a little bit more at the centre of what I'm up to because I didn't realise how big high performance would be. And I'm a chairman of a local charity called the Community Sport Foundation, which sees forty or 50,000 young people's lives being changed in Norfolk every year. But then the most important thing among all of those is my two kids and my wife. And I think the most important thing for me is to see yeah. the sign. So Harriet said to me the other day, and I'm sure she won't mind me sharing this, she's like, look, you're spending all your time helping all these other people and changing all these people's lives. Just remember, like, we all need you here as well. This year, I'm putting the family first. So on the Edinburgh tour date, we're taking the kids. My son's obsessed with Loch Ness. So I've hired a little bed and breakfast on the edge of Loch Ness. And I think the best thing that I can do this year is just to bring the whole thing together and say, I'm doing something fun, let's all go together. You know, or... Let me not bother with that thing because being at home with, with you guys is more important. But I'm a work in progress, mate, like everybody else. So there'll be struggles and failures and disappointments. Yeah. And setbacks. Absolutely. Listen, Jake, it's been fabulous. Thank you so much. No, thanks, Matt. I've really enjoyed you taking the time to chat. You, will you pop over and come and tickle the tape here? Or you can say hello to Alistair Campbell, whatever. But come and, come and see us because I think <laughs> Who's you'll enjoy it. And it Alistair it's, Campbell? Uh, no, Alistair Campbell. I keep oh, him at the farm, yeah. And uh, it's cheap to run. It's I just thought, a few um, carrots. No. He's, he's been on the podcast. I thought you'd named an animal after Alistair. <laughs> No, it's Alice, Alice the Camel, but she, she will ever be known oh, now Alice as Alice the Camel. Camel. <laughs> <laughs> Alice the Camel. Alice the Camel, what a great note to end on. Yeah, I will. We'll it's spin brilliant. down with the children, mate, for sure. You do that. Listen, thanks ever so much. I'll see you soon. So there we go. Lovely Jake Humphrey. Such a gent such a nice guy and mental wellness mental health so so important we all need to take care of ourselves and those around us always keep an eye out for people because it's it's a problem that doesn't always show itself we all need healing when it comes to mental problems just like we have with physical problems so guys like if you've enjoyed this episode of on jimmy's farm do rate us like subscribe wherever you get your podcasts including spotify it helps everyone that hasn't joined the gang to come along and get involved. So listen, I hope to see you all again. Introduce them to new animals for another episode of On Jimmy's Farm. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.